the Apostle Peter's first epistle. We're in chapter 5. This is actually the fourth sermon on this text. I'm going to read for us 5 through 7, and we'll be focusing on this wonderful phrase, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. If you have ever been hiking with a backpack, you know what to do when you come to stop and rest. You take off your backpack. You unload your burden. You don't stand around with this heavy thing on. You take it off. And that pictures what all of us humanly experience. When we are burdened with things in our lives, we want somewhere to go with them. You have stresses that are financial in nature. You worry about your kids. Many of us are worried about our church's welfare, our country's welfare. There are things before you that cause you to be deeply concerned. What do you do with these things? Peter tells you in verse 7, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This verb, cast, all of Peter's uh, readers would have recognized because it referred to throwing a blanket on an animal, on a donkey, a beast of burden. The picture is pretty clear. You're called by God to throw all your worries, all your burdens, all your anxieties on him because he can handle them. He cares for you. God wants your burdens. God can handle your burdens. God cares for you. Make it personal. Repeat with me. God wants my burdens. God can handle my burdens. God cares for me. Literally, the original in the Greek language is, it matters to him about you. What matters to God? What's on God's heart? What's on God's mind? You. You matter to the Lord, not least the things that weigh you down in life. Let's ask three questions of this promise he cares for you. First, why do you need to know God cares for you? Why do you need to know that? I'll answer in two ways. First, as we've sort of been saying, life is full of trouble. The audience to which Peter is writing is suffering for identifying with Jesus. 
There's tremendous suffering, persecution, hardship. Peter overheard Jesus tell the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler would not give up all his riches to follow Jesus. Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And everybody wanted to know, well, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Peter's tuned in. Peter heard that. And Peter said to Jesus, in contrast to the rich young ruler who wouldn't follow Jesus, Peter said, see, this is Mark 10, 28. See, we have left everything and followed you. Translated, what's in this for us, Jesus? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, there's none who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions with the blessings we receive from Jesus for following him, we receive persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And this message was repeated faithfully by the apostles when Paul and Barnabas were encouraging disciples, Acts 14, 21, it says they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Why? It's hard to do that, particularly in the face of of trouble, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How do you get to the kingdom of God? Through many tribulations. We heard earlier in the service a reading from Matthew 6, kind of Jesus' classic teaching on anxiety and what to do with these things. And he said, basically, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble today for you to be worried about. Your troubles take their toll on you, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and physically. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You know this. You know what anxiety does to you. It's like a big weight is put on your soul. These things weigh you down. But a good word makes him glad. What is that good word? Well, how about this? Cast your burdens on the Lord. He cares for you. That's a really good word. That's a magnificent promise. That is real hope in a world of much trouble. Here's the second reason why you need to know he cares for you. Here's this affirmation. He cares for you. Why do you need to know that? Because you're hardwired by sin to trust yourself. There is in all of our hearts a doubt in the goodness of God. It remains from our fallen nature and from the fall itself. We have this thing in us that is suspicious that God is really good. That helps explain one of the reasons why God constantly is affirming his faithfulness to his people, his love for his people. When the apostles write the New Testament epistles, where do they begin? They begin by affirming what God has done for these believers in Christ. 
Here's how he's loved you. Here's the tangible proof of his commitment to you. It's Jesus. God goes to great lengths to remind us, to call attention to his love, his faithfulness, his care. Notice in this text how that is proven. Verse 6 begins, humble yourselves. That's what we call a main verb in this text. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We've talked about that in a sermon a couple years ago. And then Peter fluidly goes right into casting your anxieties on him. This isn't a new sentence. So the idea of casting, right, throwing them up on that beast of earth, casting your anxieties is somehow connected to the idea of humbling. And that's true linguistically because casting is a participle. That means it's a verb form that's dependent ultimately on its meaning on the main verb. The main verb is humble yourself. You do that by, in one way, by casting your anxieties upon the Lord. That tells you about the organic connection between pride and anxiety. To humble yourself requires at least that you do what? You make constant all-out assaults on all forms of pride in your heart. This is what serious Christians do. They're constantly addressing their pride. They're watchful over it. They're vigilant for the way they're the tendency of their hearts to be self-sufficient, self-promoting, self-trusting, self-indulging, or getting the better of them and their relationships. And so worry then, the occasion of realizing, hey, I'm feeling anxious, this exposes one of the ways that you are locked in on self-trust. Why? Because when you worry, you want something that's out of your control. You desire something you don't have control over. This comes out in the, in the very Greek word for anxiety, which is used in this text. It's a compound that literally means a divided thinking. When you're anxious, your thinking is conflicted. It goes like this. I want this. That's one half of your thinking. But I know that thing's out of my control. That's the other thing. So when you want something that's out of your control and it causes you to fret, that's what worry is. That's what anxiety is. So picture anxiety as opposed to anger. Anger is having a goal that's blocked. You're angry because you can't get something you want. Anxiety is wanting something that's being called into question, that there's doubt about, that you don't have control over uh, bringing to pass. And obviously, the stronger your desire, the more intense your anxiety. Put it this way. This is sort of silly. Does God worry? Does God have anxiety? Of course not. Why? He's in control. Nothing thwarts God's will. God has the power to bring to pass absolutely and irrevocably everything that he wills. God doesn't worry. So you could call the heart of anxiety this dilemma. Will you trust God or will you keep trusting yourself for something that's out of your control? That's the first question. Why do we need to know he cares for us? We need to know it. Secondly, how do you know he cares for you? And incidentally, this, this verb, to, to be concerned with, or it, it matters to God, it's a, it's a present active indicative telling you that he, this is 
constantly a fact. He cares for you. It matters to him constantly. So for something this important, for you to know, for you to really believe, he, he cares for you, your burdens matter to him, you need lots of evidence. So let me give you some evidence. First of all, he says so. He says so. Peter's probably echoing Psalm 55, verse 22. David writes, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. This looks like a New Testament slight reworking of that. But look, promises themselves don't make those things true. I could promise to carry your burdens, and I don't have the ability or the power to do it. So consider that this is the way God reveals his heart to you, assuring you he cares for you. When you wonder, is he really caring? David affirms in Psalm 18, you've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has supported me. Your gentleness made me great. Wow. That's tender care. Psalm 147.3, you doubt God cares for you? He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's the kind of God Almighty God is. He cares to bind the wounds of brokenhearted people. Pictured in the servant of the Lord portrait we have in Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. In all his almighty power, God can swoop in and deal that sensitively and tenderly with you. No wonder Zechariah in the New Testament speaks of his son John the Baptist paving the way before Jesus the Savior. Jesus is described as the one because of the tender mercy of our God will be the sunrise from on high will visit us. Jesus is the tender mercy of our God revealed in the flesh. So how do you know he cares for you? He says so. And secondly, he proves it. When you want proof for something, look around. Look at the proof. Let me show you a number of ways the Bible encourages you to look around for proof that he really cares for you. First, look at yourself. You didn't will your existence. You had nothing to do with that. God did. He willed your existence because he cares for you. He wanted to create you. You actually had nothing to do with your human functioning. Did you and I have anything to do with designing the human body? Not a lick. He did. Emblematic of his care for you. Just, just start above, above your neck. Think of the glory of your eyes, your ear, your sense of smell, taste, the ability to speak, to think. These all Scream, God's care for you. Not least, he made you in his own image. God has to care for you, and he has to sustain you because you're so vulnerable. I mean, think of the different ways the very nature of life makes you vulnerably dependent on things beyond your control. For example, you can't make your heart beat. God's doing that. You can't make your brain work. God's doing that. You can't go very long without oxygen, without food, without water. 
eight hours a day on average, you're completely vulnerable when you're sleeping. Who's keeping you while you sleep? You aren't. God is. Right now, I am vulnerable 180 degrees behind me. Just, it, it just shows you how, as a human being, you are by definition dependent. You're frail. You're vulnerable. God sustains us. He controls things outside of our control, like the weather is disease getting my body, or other people plotting to hurt me, or critters seeking to assault me. It's things you don't control. He cares for you by keeping you from these things. So look at yourself. Look at parents. When Jesus is encouraging us to pray, to bring our needs to a Father who knows what we need, even before we ask, who delights to give us good things, he says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to go out to the mall and get good Christmas gifts for your kids. You just do that instinctively as a parent. How much more our Heavenly Father who, unlike us, is never motivated in the delivery of care by evil, malice, or duplicitous motives. <laughs> Look at parents. That's a sign of God's fatherly care. Look at yourself. Look at parents. Look around. Again, you need evidence that God cares for you. Look around. We had read earlier in the service Psalm 145, which is this breathtaking celebration of the goodness of God and how he cares for his creatures and opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Why? He cares for them. One such psalm is 104, which seeks to show you how he cares for you. Psalm 104, 13. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his work. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that we may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. Everything you've ever eaten or drank that tasted good, that nourished you, was evidence of the care of God to supply it. We read earlier from Matthew 6. Jesus says, you want to know God cares for you, why you shouldn't be anxious? Look at the birds. Look at the birds. They keep getting their food. They don't have farms. <laughs> Your father feeds them. Do you see the point? He reveals himself as the kind of person you can trust when you look at the evidence. So, in the face of worry, think about who God reveals himself to be. He is all-powerful. Nothing thwarts his ability to bring to pass his perfect will. Nothing's impossible with God. When, when the, the disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and the waves are coming and they're about ready to be swamped, they awaken Jesus and he says, what is wrong with you? Why are you worrying? I'm here. 
It's me. I control all of this. He has all the power. God also has the authority because he's king. He's absolutely sovereign. You could have the power to give care for somebody, but not the authority to deliver it. God has both the power and the authority, but you could have the power, you could have the authority, but you could lack the desire to care for somebody. God has that as well because he is exceedingly generous. He loves to meet the needs of his people. Do you see what the cure for worry is? Set your mind, this divided mind, down on the character of God. It is the only thing in the universe to truly, adequately fuse an anxious mind into healthy wholeness. Set your mind down on who God is. This is essentially the way Paul reasons it in Philippians 4 a couple years ago when I preached the series on humility, and I dealt with the phrase, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I also dealt with this phrase, but we jumped and exegeted Philippians 4, which I'll just read for you now. I don't need to go over it again, but Philippians 4, notice how Paul uh, exhorts you, do not, verse 6, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God who has the power, the authority, and the desire to carry this burden. Pray with thanksgiving for who he is, that he can handle it, that he cares for you. What's the result? Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understand will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God is happy to attend to earnest, fervent Prayer, seeking God, appealing to his character, appealing to his word. He's happy to attend to that, the peace that we want in the midst of our worries. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 8. Finally, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence and there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. You've got a divided mind. What is anxiety? You desire something, you can't control it. What's the antidote to that? Put your mind down on what is true, right, honorable. Put your mind down on the character of God and everything that he says about himself and you and life. Think about these things. So just like God himself, his care for us is limitless, boundless, gracious, sufficient, and kind. It's also mysterious. We suffer, just as Jesus suffered. Peter's already told his readers in chapter 2, Jesus left you a pattern to follow in his footsteps. For naming the name of Jesus, we will suffer in varying degrees at varying times. The point is, though, he gives us what we need when we need it, not necessarily what we want when we want it. And he always gives it in this perfect time. Why? He has the power, the authority, and the desire. He cares for you. That's why Bible believers, followers of Jesus, learn a discipline called waiting. They wait on the Lord. One such example is Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. Why is he doing that? 
God reveals who he is to us in his word, the way he works on the earth, what we can expect of him. And that power can bring a divided mind into a wholesome health. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Little did the psalmist know that that affirmation, God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With God, there's plentiful redemption. Little did he know that it was in the person of the glorious Son of God, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, that that promise is fulfilled. Therefore, look at yourself, look at parents, look around, look at Jesus. Consider this way the Apostle Paul directs our attention to the Father's commitment to his Son to give you to the Son as written in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What is Paul asking you to do? You're anxious, you're worried, you're burdened, your mind is divided. He is saying, beloved, reason from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. The most compelling argument to heal a divided mind is, is what God has done for you in Jesus. <laughs> what he has done. Let the cross be the final word. Let the cross be the loudest voice. Let the cross be the most compelling argument for God's care for you. He did not spare his own son. See, we tend to read God through our circumstances. Things are difficult. This is bad. God must be something other than we think. The Bible exhorts us to read our circumstances through who God is. And Paul is saying, when you first look at God, what do you find? He is a God who didn't spare his son, who's generous, who sacrificed his son, who gave all that he possibly could. At Christmas time, you're going to look at your budget, you're going to buy gifts for your kids, you maybe max out some of those budgetary lines to give the best gifts you can. The only thing God could give us was his son. And he shouldn't have. Paul says he who did not spare his own son by all rationality in terms of justice, as God looks at sinners, those in rebellion against him on this earth, and somebody stood up and one of the angels said, why don't you send your son to die for your enemies? God said, I wouldn't think of sparing my son for those awful people. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's why the humble heart says, he saved me. He loved me. He cares for me of all people. Yeah, Jesus loves to enrich the impoverished. That's what God does so well. What he loves to do. How do you know his care? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. The hideous, gruesome, painful, bloody cross of 
Jesus. Poverty? Death. A cruel, unjust death. Riches for all who call upon his name. Have you? Have you responded to the cry of the cross? I will save you if you give me your sin. I'll make you rich. I'll take the poverty of your sin. I'll take the filth and I'll cleanse you with my shed blood that you might know my Father and me forever in paradise. Last question. What should we do about this? I'll suggest two things. One, love others with the care God gives you. See, God's care never comes as a dead-end street. God doesn't care for you so that you, you sort of go into your house and there you just feast on it. No, God's care is very bouncy. When it's received into a human heart, it's meant to bring comfort, care, consolation, a whole healthy mind, peace, but it's designed to be useful to others who need care. Look at the way Paul reasons in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Why is he the God of all comfort? He cares. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the desire. He cares. He comforts us in all our afflictions. So that, the purpose so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God has my back. I'm empowered, free to use my resources lavishly for you, that you know the same thing. Paul put it this way in Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What a calling. So there are people in your life God has strategically placed there. He has designed for you to either bless with the comfort you've received in your life. That might require you to stop and think about, now where have I been given comfort? What were the circumstances? What did I learn? What agent did God use? Were there Bible verses? What? And, and take those resources and, and ask God to create the open doors so that you can bless these people with that comfort. Might be a stranger. Might be somebody in your own household. Might be somebody you need to pick up the phone and call. I was thinking about you. This is what my wife says. I, I, we'll be driving on. Somebody just came to mind, honey. She'll say, you need to call them. The Lord probably put them on your heart. Maybe they need a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, just to know you checked on them. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So look around you and look and say, who's got a burden? Lord, would you be calling me to come alongside and be an agent of you caring for them? Because people often need flesh and blood. They need a shoulder. They need a few dollars. They need a listening ear. They need your wisdom. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And finally, what should you do about it? Stay focused on how Jesus bore our burdens and self-sacrifice to care for you. It was all to care for you. 
those of you who've been blessed by Joanna Lamb's uh, teaching on Divalet on Wednesday nights will be familiar with the name Gregory of Nazianzus. He's one of the church fathers, and so you guys have heard this. I just want to read one of his quotes about this very thing, how Jesus cared for us, supplies our needs out of the glory of who he is, and particularly in self-sacrifice. This is what Gregory wrote. He hungered, but he fed thousands. He thirsted, but he cried, any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He was wearied, but he is the rest of them that are weary and heavy laden. He was heavy with sleep, but he walked lightly over the sea. He pays tribute, yea, even out of a fish. He is the king of those who demanded it. He prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he causes tears to cease. He is sold and very cheap, but redeems the world at great price, his own blood. As a sheep that is led to slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel. As a lamb that is silent, yet he is the word and is proclaimed in all the world. He has given vinegar to drink mingled with gall. He who turned the water into wine. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He is lifted up and nailed to a tree, but by the tree of life he restores us. Let's pray. We worship your God, that you care for us. How could we not bring our burdens, worries, anxieties, stresses, trials, pains, sorrows to you? You can bear them. You care. We pray together for all in our midst who are overburdened, who are sinking in discouragement and despair and darkness, feeling crushed, how we pray the eyes of their heart would be open to see Jesus. Jesus lifted up on the cross for them. Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand. Jesus praying for them. Jesus sovereignly ruling all circumstances. Jesus extending the power of his grace, even through us, to meet the burdens of his people. Make us that church, Lord, those who bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And oh, how we'll look like this marvelous Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.